0: and welcome to the February episode of the Empower Women Series podcast. My name is Honor Madison. This month, we decided to talk about how to keep money issues from diminishing the joy of raising special needs children. We invited Karen Mariscall to come speak. Karen is a special needs estate planner in Wellesley, and she's also the mother of a profoundly autistic son. Karen was able to provide insights both from the legal end and then also from the emotional end as she is a parent. So I think that was really meaningful. We do want to plug our next Empower Women series event, which will be on March 8th. What parents and kids should be thinking about for college admissions. I know college admissions is top of mind for many of our clients, and so I'm definitely looking forward to that event and the insights that our speaker, Pam Madara, will bring. So with that, let's just dive right into the episode. So
1: today we're speaking with Karen Mariscal. Karen, thank you so much for joining us here for the Empower Women Series podcast with Lexington Wealth Management. We're um, excited to hear today about what do we need to think about around finances with special needs children? Um, So much to think about. So why don't you tell us a little bit about you and then we can get into some of the financial talk.
2: Great, well thank you for having me. I am a a special needs trust and estates lawyer in Wellesley and I help clients who have children who are not able to make a living create their estate plans through the use of special needs trusts and I also help with guardianship if a child needs to have a court-appointed guardian when they turn 18. So that's my business hat, but my personal hat is that I have a 29-year-old son who is severely autistic and nonverbal, intellectually disabled, named Billy. And he's been, you know, my life for the last 29 years. So I came by this work quite naturally.
1: And and, and because of that, you just have like an amazing, um, not only legal uh, knowledge, but a personal knowledge and experience, which I think goes... So far, um, and people really can relate when they talk with you. So, um, I think that's that's been my experience when I've heard you speak and I've seen you work with clients. Uh, Billy has really opened up a world of newness for you. So amazing!
2: Yes, Um,
1: amazing. So uh, a little bit today, we're going to talk a little bit about some special needs trusts around you know in estate planning. A little bit about government benefits, and then. Um, government programs that are available. So I guess if we could, I think the big thing that I've learned from you is there's a big difference between um, those children that are under the age of 18, and then children that are over the the age of 18. And so I think on this talk, we're going to talk more about the over 18. But if you can just touch a little bit on what if families do who have children that are under age 18.
2: So when you say that, I think you're talking about government benefits and like money. Like, what what are you likely to get from the government when you have a disabled child? And our, the way our system is is until they're 18, they're your dependent by law, and your money is their money. So the, unless you're you know in fairly dire straits as a family, you're not going to qualify for government assistance. But once your child turns 18, bingo. They're, they're emancipated under the law and your money is not their money. Their money is only what's in their name in their bank account. And generally our kids don't have a lot of money, right? So in order to qualify for benefits, the major one, you can't have more than $2,000 in your name. So that's why when you say it's really different between 18 and, and over versus 18 and under, that's the big difference is the, uh, the government benefits piece. So it doesn't matter if your kid is over eighteen or not for a special needs trust, and the need for that with your own money as a parent. But it does matter quite a bit if you're looking for um, social security.
1: Okay. So, and I think uh, under the age of eighteen, they qualify for things like Mass Health and this premium assistance. Uh, but then once they go into you know adulthood they qualify for many more programs and benefits.
2: Yeah. yeah. I mean, even MassHealth, you you can qualify for MassHealth, but as a disabled person under 18 in a wealthy family, but you're going to pay a premium. So okay. sometimes we have families whose income is, it's all based on your income, by the way. So your income is quite high. Your premium is going to be not worth it to use MassHealth for any uh, um, help until they turn 18. So okay. depends on the particular situation, but mass health can be very helpful to some families who have um, need PCA hours, which are personal care attendance. Um, they, they are it's well worth paying that premium and get, getting that uh, care because some of our kids, they might need 50, 60 hours a week in care, their child, and that can be paid for by mass health. Okay.
1: And, and tell me what is premium assistance?
2: So premium assistance is a program that MassHealth has where if you keep your child on your own insurance, let's say Billy, who's on Blue Cross and Blue Shield, and we pay, let's say, 3000 a year for that, um, MassHealth will reimburse us for that or whatever we pay for the premium. And why do they do that? Because they'd rather you pay for the insurance than they cover the kid on MassHealth.
1: So once they reimburse you for that premium, you can you could actually put that money aside and save it for your child down the road um, if you don't need to use it immediately. Is that right? Absolutely.
2: Yeah, that's right. And uh, you know, some but the families that do that don't need that money. Some families need that money to reimburse for what they're paying for the insurance. So it depends on your financial situation. Okay.
1: All right. So talk to us a little bit about the special needs trusts.
2: So a special needs trusts should be in part of every estate plan of parents of special needs children, or children who are not likely to make a living for two reasons. First of all, the child might need not be good with money and they need a trustee to take and, and handle that inheritance piece that they're going to get from their, their um, parents. And secondly, anything in a special needs trust is not counted as their money. So that if they have on a program where you can only have $2,000, they can have hundreds of millions in a special needs trust, and it's not counted. Okay. So the, the trustee of a special needs trust can use that money on the kid's behalf, however they want. And the child will still qualify for the benefits they're getting from the government.
1: Okay. And so what are some of the ways that people would uh, fund a special needs trust?
2: So when you, my parents who are older let's say you're in your seventies or sixties, even they generally don't want to use insurance because insurance gets expensive. And they've also uh, often created enough of a nest egg that they're okay with leaving their estate without insurance to their children. But my younger families who are just starting out and just starting to put away money and, you know, trying to pay the mortgage and trying to save for college and all that other stuff, Um, they and and myself included, they might want to purchase a, a second to die life insurance policy. So these are special policies that are on two lives instead of one, they're on you and your husband's lives so that they do not pay out until we both pass away and therefore they are cheaper. And you can lock in when you're young, the premium and pay that same premium, even as you age and you become less healthy and you would not qualify for cheap insurance as you age. And that insurance can be used to fund your special needs trust. So, so that's a, I think that's a great thing to do for certain families.
1: And both parents or grandparents could fund a second to die policy, but again, just to be conscious of the cost of premiums um, for older
2: folks. Right, exactly.
1: Okay. Okay. Um, how about when it's time to disperse the trust um, and trustees around the trust and beneficiaries talk to us a little bit about that.
2: So trustees with special needs trust, it's a touchy difficult situation because the trustee has full power to do whatever they want. And this is important because if you give them any kind of requirement to pay for a certain thing, it's all of a sudden counted by the government. So the, the, the trust has to say the trustee has complete discretion as to whether to pay out for anything or not pay out, not pay out the money ever. So uh, we have to pick the right people to be our trustees. And usually we want a loved one that has some ability with money, okay? And we don't all have that, but like for me, I use my sister, totally trust her. She knows my kid inside out and she will do the right thing by him and pay, You know, and, and sometimes our problem with our trustees is they don't use the money enough. You think, oh, the trustees are spending too much money and their money's going to run out. That doesn't usually happen. It's usually they don't pay pay for anything. You know, they sit there thinking they're being good stewards. So you want them to say, look, this money is not, my kid's not having any kids. You don't need to save money in this trust for their heirs. We want to use this to help their lives be better. Right. Right? So so sometimes we don't have a loved one that can do this. And then we use professionals. And there's uh, and also also we might use a professional and a loved one as co-trustees. So the professional might take care of all the the paperwork and maybe do the investing, and the tax returns. And the loved one will decide on distributions, you know, along with the professional that work together. So that's a nice way to do it when you can afford to have both and have both. But um, if you don't have anybody. Uh, Uh, you you can either use a regular professional or you can um, use a pooled trust so this this is a nonprofit. we have them in our state they're called the plan of massachusetts and rhode island is the one i recommend been around forever you you can count on them to be there when you need them all right like unlike my sister who might not be there when when billy's trust is created this pool trust will be there they know what they're doing they know how to distribute under the uh, various uh, special needs laws and you know rules and they often have like social workers on staff and stuff to help. so that is another option for someone who doesn't have a loved one in their family that would would do a good job with this.
1: Okay um, let's let's shift over to talk a little bit about the different government benefits and government programs. Um, walk us through some of the things that are available.
2: Okay, so um, the, the, the big one is called SSI, Supplemental Security Income. This is money, cash that's sent to your, sent a check to you every month if you are disabled and you have less than $2,000 in your name, okay? So once your child turns 18, they hopefully they have less than 2,000 if you've done this right. And um, if they're considered disabled by the government, they will get this check. What's the disabled criteria? It's whether they can engage in substantial gainful employment. Okay. And that means more than part-time minimum wage. So if they're working at Walmart part-time, they can still qualify, but if it's full-time minimum wage, it might not, they might not qualify. So that's really the standard. And and they they look at, at your records, they look at your your doctor's knows they look at your employment history and they decide if you are disabled or not. And if you are, that you'll get this SSI, which is usually about 800 a month, unless you're taking care of your kid and, and clothing them and housing them, in which case one third of your check is decreased. And it's more like right now it's about 650 a month. And also with SSI comes the mass health coverage automatically in the mail whether you ask for it or not you do not have to apply for mass health if you're an SSI recipient so that's a wonderful benefit and why I want my clients when their kids turn 18 I want them to apply for SSI Right Tell us
1: a little bit about the housing availability
2: so, Okay most of us can expect to keep our kids at home um even 20s and 30s they're going to be probably at home because most of us are not going to qualify for government's uh funded housing. Um DDS is my the agency of my clients if you're intellectually disabled that's the one you use or it'd be DMH which is Department of Mental Health if you're a mental illness person. But they they have very they have some housing, they have some group homes and they have shared living pro- um but it's really Maybe 15% of our, my population gets that. Um, Most of us will not qualify because it's a pretty high standard. You have to not be able to live safely at home. So that, you know, there's a lot goes into that, but it's not just about your kid and their functioning level and behaviors and medical needs. It's about you. So if you, if you are dead or in jail, you're more likely, your kid's more likely to get Uh, state-supported housing than if you are in an intact intact family able to take care of your your child.
1: Um, Let's talk a little bit about SSDI.
2: So SSDI is also a a social security uh, benefit, but it's very different than SSI in that it's an entitlement because you've paid into the system, if you have, the taxes, the social security taxes. So once as a parent, once you start collecting your social security. Your child, if they're already determined to be disabled under the SSI standard, your child will be entitled to half of your check in addition to your check. So let's say I start collecting and I'm getting 3000 a month, Billy will get a check for 1500 a month at that point. All right, (laughs) until he dies, it's forever, except that when I pass away, his check will be 75% of my amount. So it's a wonderful benefit for those of us who have been paying into the system. And it also comes with Medicare. So not only will Billy receive, once we start collecting, he'll have both dual eligible mass health and Medicare, which is a good, it's very covers everything basically.
1: So do, do you have to apply or is that like an automatic thing?
2: Yeah, it's used to be automatic, Christine, but now lately, and I don't know if it's COVID, we've we've had to go in and say, "Hey, I'm collecting, and I got a disabled kid," okay. and and so you let them know, and usually they pay retroactively when they didn't start paying, and so Medicare okay. only comes after your kid is receiving SSDI for two years, then they then they <clears throat> qualify for Medicare.
1: Okay, and they they um, qualify under either parent. Or both parents
2: or you, either. either parent that's been paying the taxes and whoever's making the most money, uh, social security check, the biggest, that's the one that, that your child will get half of.
1: Okay. How about talking about some of these other ways to save for your child?
2: You want to talk about the ABLE account? Yes. The ABLE account is a, is a 529 plan for kids who aren't going to college. It's called 529A. And you can save for your disabled child ta- and grow tax-free, same as 529, in something called an ABLE account, which is in our state run by Fidelity. But you can only put up to 16000 a year into this account. All right? And once it grows to up to $100, it, it can't go over 100 or it'll start counting again. But before that, it is not countable as your child's money. under SSI. So they're still considered poor and less than 2,000 and have an ABLE account. So it's a really, it's a, it's a good way to say for some people, um, I particularly like it for those clients whose actual, the kids are working and they need to keep their um, benefits. They need to keep less than 2,000 in their account. They can move their wages over to the ABLE account.
1: Okay. And then the able account can pay for things like rent and housing if
2: needed. Able account can basically pay for anything. Okay. There's some, there's some, you know, IRS rules where you have to have it has to be related to your disability, but that is defined so broadly that it's not an issue.
1: Okay. Well, you touched a little bit on housing, and I think there are some other benefits or programs available. Do you want to dig into that
2: more? Yeah. Yes, I do because okay. let's say you're one of the many that do not have the state helping you with housing of your child, you can qualify hopefully for a section eight voucher. So that's our big uh, uh, housing supplement. And it, it's a wonderful thing in that you can live anywhere I, okay, there's always footnotes what I say, but basically you just get to choose the apartment. It's not a project-based voucher. You're not living in a low-income apartments. You're living in an apartment you want to live to and, and and having HUD help pay the rent. All right. So generally you need to apply for this around when you turn eight, your child turns 18 in a pre-application, and then you wait for years until your name comes up on the list. And then you put in the real application and, uh, what, ha- what happens with a Section 8 voucher is that your child pays 30% of their income, whatever it is, to the landlord, and the HUD pays the rent, the rest. So, for example, my child only makes SSI. So, that's let's, let's call it 600. 200 goes to the landlord, and the rest of the rent is paid by HUD. And wow. it's portable. He can move it anywhere, including anywhere in the country, not just Massachusetts, and it, and it works. So it's, a, okay. a, it's it, the problem is staying on it. You gotta, you gotta do the reviews every year or they'll throw you off and you'll start all over again with the wait mm-hmm. of 10 to 12 years to get it. So you gotta stay on it, but it's a great, great program.
1: So, so, you know, be, being a special needs child or even an adult, you really do need the support of someone around you to help, to make sure you, you know, you're staying on these programs and qualifying and not falling off.
2: Christine, I couldn't agree more. It is it is a to I mean, I have a lot of parents who are older, like in their eighties, and they're like, "Who's going to do all this when I'm gone?" It's so right. frightening because they're doing it. They do all this stuff. One of one of my parents who does all the meds. I'm like, "Okay, you got to stop doing the meds for your mentally ill kid." That the you know, meds can be so important, and find yeah. someone else and start now to start offloading this and how and and figuring out who can take care of these this stuff, the mail. Cause like nobody even sees the mail. It goes to the group home and nobody forwards it and you don't even know it came and now you're off the right. program. Right. So it's right. a big, it, it's not like it's that much every year, but it's enough that you need somebody to be on this stuff.
1: So is that where those personal care uh, assistants come into hand because you're actually utilizing them for these types of support?
2: No, 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 you, you need, you need like a case manager or someone that's monitoring the mail that, that, right. that does the mass health review when it comes in, that does the SSI, what sends it in, whatever it is. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay.
1: So probably challenging to find.
2: Well, it's, it's, it's really challenging when you're dead. So I really hope that people will look into this and start thinking about who's going to take over for what they do. Right. If if they're incapacitated or can't do it anymore. And then I hope that they might have enough money to to set it up while they're still alive to get it started. Right.
1: Right. All right. Move us into things like food stamps and utility subsidies, transportation. Yeah,
2: those are available. And some some of my clients do it and some of them don't because it's, again, it's a hassle staying on it. And for food stamps, you have to, um, explain exactly what your kid ate versus other people in the house, which is annoying, but, um, it's a benefit. It could be up to, I don't know, 200 a month, something like that. And then, um, the ride is what I really like. It's, uh, a wonderful service although not everybody likes it i i uh, i know everybody's frustrated by it because they're late and they don't show up and all that kind of thing but it's you call them a, a day ahead of time you tell them when you want your kid and and where or or hopefully the kid themselves can use a lot of my clients they can call the ride themselves and set up the ride and they here comes a taxi to pick you up and take you where you want to go so I think it's a wonderful benefit for some of my clients that, 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 that can use it and are, are uh, able, not everybody likes it and, and uh, has the right setup for it, but out in um, Framingham in this area, it's called Metro West. It's very similar.
1: And so you have to be a little bit flexible because it may not always be on time or get you where you want to be at the right time, but if it's use to visit family or friends, then it sounds like it can be a really great um, way to give them a little bit of independence and take a little bit of pressure off you as the parent to always have to be driving
2: them. But a lot of my clients have to use the ride to get to work and they have to use it to get to their day program and, and whatever they're doing. So, so they, they, they try to be patient, but it is frustrating. I understand that. Right. And someone mentioned that the Lyft has a new program. Hurt. Uh, the ride has a new program that uses lift, uh, $2 okay. a ride for, I guess, up to $30, which is a wonderful, it's, it's still a pilot program in Boston, but it's a gr- I think it's going to work. And I think it's a, a great idea. And I'm guessing, cause we all know how Lyft and Uber works. It's going to be a lot more efficient and less right. frustrating.
1: Right. So, um, we're coming to, I guess, time here. And is there anything else that you want to leave with our listeners and, and talk a little bit about before we close?
2: I think I'm, I'd be happy to answer, you know, I have a million questions about all this stuff. So I'd be happy to, if you want to email me to ask me, that would be fine. I, I don't like phone calls, but I'm at, at karen at MariscalLaw.com.
1: That's great, and thank you so much. Um, I do just want to make a quick mention of um, the book you suggested, called "Far from the Tree." Uh, do you want to just quickly tell our listeners about the book, and maybe they can grab a copy? And
2: yeah, so "Far from the Tree" by Andrew Solomon is a wonderful book that I talked about in my talk. It it has a different chapter for a lot of different types of parenting. Of children, um, so it's about parents who ch- who parent kids that are very different from themselves, um, and all of our kids are different from us and different from what may- maybe we expected. I think, but these kids are like uh, deaf, dwarfs, Down syndrome, autism, schizophrenia, multiple severe disabilities, children who are prodigies, who are conceived in rape, who become criminals, and who are transgender. And each one of these has its own chapter. So some people will want to flip to the chapter they care about. And for me, I, lo- I loved every single chapter. I think it's all interesting because he's really talking about how it is to, to parent someone with what he calls a different, hor- a different horizontal uh, identity than you that has a different, they call, he calls it a different vertical identity. If you're, for example, deaf, your, your identity with your peers and your community is very different from your parents. So that was what he was investigating.
1: So um, there was one piece that you shared with me earlier that I'm going to share that I just thought was amazing. Um, it was called gratitude. And it, it goes, acceptance happens when parents conclude that while they... S- Suppose they were stuck with a catastrophic loss of hope, they were in fact falling in love with someone they didn't yet know enough to want. This book's conundrum is that most fam- most of the families described here have ended up grateful for experiences they would have done anything to avoid. Um, that, that's a pretty powerful statement.
2: That's it. And that's what the book is all about. It's, it's about parents who rose up to the occasion and grew. And had transformative lives because of their kids.
1: And I'm sure I'm sure that um, special needs children do that. So yeah. thank you so much for your time in this talk. And we'll be sure to pass uh, your email on to anyone who asks. So thank you very much, Karen.
2: Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. I really appreciate it. Take care. Right, take care. The Empower
0: Women series was created by Lexington Wealth Management to offer a space for women to come together and feel supported by one another in a safe, judgment-free environment. When we share our experiences and knowledge, we are able to learn from each other. Our mission is to empower women and girls from all walks of life to speak up, ask questions, and learn. The Empower Women series takes place on the second Tuesday of every month at noon, and the podcast follows. Thank you for listening. Lexington Wealth Management is a team of investment professionals registered with Hightower Securities LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and Hightower Advisors LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. All securities are offered through Hightower Securities LLC, and advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is risk-free and there is no guarantee that the investment process described herein will be profitable. Investors investors may lose all of their investments. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. In preparing these materials, we have relied upon and assumed without independent verification the accuracy and completeness of all information available from public and internal sources. Hightower shall not be in any way liable for claims and make no express or implied representations or warranties as to their accuracy or completeness or for statements or errors contained or in omissions from them. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the author and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Third-party links and references are provided solely to share social, cultural, and educational information. Any reference in this post to any person or organization or activities, products, or services related to such person or organization or any linkages from this post to the website of another party do not constitute or imply endorsement, recommendation, or favoring of Lexington Wealth Management or Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates, employees, or contractors acting on its behalf. Hightower Advisors LLC does not guarantee the accuracy or safety of any link site. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the clients, individual circumstances, and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor for related questions. Copyright 2021 Hightower.